Bonjour Tanse. Welcome to Mino Gandagan, the Good Voice Podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. I'm your host, Tim Fontaine. In this episode, we speak with three very powerful artists who use music to tell their stories. We pose the question, has reconciliation happened in the music industry? Has it happened within the lives of these musicians? Stick around to find out. Our first guest is Kelly Fraser. Born and raised in Sani Kilowak, Nunavut, she is a musician and writer whose second album, Sedna, was nominated for Indigenous Music Album of the Year at the Juno Awards in 2018. Fraser is incredibly hardworking, performing on stages all across Canada and helping other young musicians find their voice. Bonjour, Tanse. Welcome to Mino Gandagan, the Good Voice podcast. I am Alyssa Blackwolf Kixon, and I am here with Kelly Fraser. Thank you very much, Alyssa. I'm <laughs> pleased to be on the show. Oh, thank you. So, Kelly, we've used your music for one of the episodes already. Your music is just so beautiful, and I just want to know a little bit more about where this music comes from. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So, my name is Kelly Fraser, Kelly Amalia Fraser. I'm from Sanikiluak, Nunavut, a little island in the Hudson Bay right near Quebec. It's not part of Quebec, we're part of Nunavut. We're the Hawaii of Nunavut. I am a singer, and I sing in my language. How did you get into music? What what sort of led you into the music industry? I've always been musical since I was 11. I watched this movie called Freaky Friday uh, with Lindsay Lohan in it, and seeing a young girl play electric guitar in a rock band really inspired me, so I ran home that night and I told my parents I want them to buy me a guitar so I can be a electric guitar player, and they said, if you go to lessons, well, we'll buy you one because they didn't want to just spoil me. Like, we didn't own our own TV. Not that they couldn't have bought it for us. They just wanted me and my sister to read and play and have other interests. I started playing guitar at age 11. I was in a band when I was 15 playing with a bass, and then I got to play guitar and drums. We'd switch. That's what made my shows when I was like 18, 19 special is that we'd all switch our uh, instruments. So someone else is drumming, someone else is singing, someone else is playing bass and someone else is playing guitar. And we had a young um, bandmate. She's now uh, 14. She just played with us at the indigenous uh, at the indigenous day live and there we've been playing since i was 15 but i do a lot of edm by myself so the way i make that music is i make up songs i have chords in my head i sometimes use the guitar to um to make songs and then i work with a producer a producer i've been working with is thor simonson we make these songs. He grew up in Nunavut, so he knows how to speak our language a bit. And But yeah, the way I started is I was in a band and I would sing in my language and uh, because that's what we mostly speak there. Mm-hmm. 
And then I would translate songs. My bandmate would tell me, you know, our people need to hear songs that they can understand in their language. When I was 19, I was in college at a school called Nunavut Sivuniksavut, and a school affiliated with Algonquin College. Over there in Inuktitut class, our teacher said we could we could make up any project we want that has to do with our language. So mine was... Uh, translating pop music into Inuktitut and it cut uh, cut a lot of fans like developed a big following in uh, on Inuit land. Wow, that's so amazing. So you took just everyday pop songs and translated them into your language. Yes, and I still do that. It's still my specialty and my specialty is translating my own songs, my own pop music into Inuktitut and English. So wow. the thing is, what I want to do is I want to teach um, my people how to speak our language in mm. that sense. It's not in every song, but it's in some. And yeah, I just think it's a short, good tool for me who is a speaker, something I can do. That's easy for me to pass on my culture. I, I believe if we don't take care of it, it's it's going to die. And I don't believe that we're in that that Inuit have control. They have the ability to talk. Therefore, mm-hmm. they can teach. So I'm only hoping this will help um, other people keep their uh, language, especially Indigenous people in Canada and all over the world, really, because... yes. Once you move to Canada, if you're an immigrant, um, you slowly lose your own language and your own culture. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for people to understand we can live as strongly as we can in our own culture. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. And the more we practice and are proud and we make Inuktitut strong enough to be standardized so that all our kids can talk to each other and their language and their dialect. That's one thing that's really cool about right now is this uh, revitalization of language. And uh, I just, I think it's so amazing that that's what you're doing and that's how you're keeping your culture alive is through music and through teaching young and old the, the language. You're kind of a rock star and warrior, <laughs> just so amazing. Thank um, you. So I want to, I wanted to, uh, I guess, pick your brain a little bit. Um, so the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, they released the 94 Calls to Action. And... Um, Right now, uh, Canada is all abuzz um, with the the one big R word, which is reconciliation. Do you? How would you describe reconciliation as as an Anak person? Um, if I can walk into a store um, and not be followed, mm-hmm. if I could go on social media and look at an article that talking about indigenous people if i could just look at the comment sec- comment section without feeling guilty of um the social issues we've been given directly from 
stealing our land and colonizing us. Mm-hmm. I really, I really feel if we can reconcile, we need to actually talk to each other, not only um, giving cultural sensitivity courses in government jobs or uh, jobs in general in the public and private sector, um, if we could actually have a conversation on decolonizing. Mm. I believe we, uh, a lot of Canadians have been um, into nationalism, which is very uh, being proud of the land you're on. And we don't fit indigenous people who came here first and helped uh, helped people integrate here. Um, I I feel like people need to remember that and to actually decolonize. They need to realize they um, they they have a lot of uh, benefits to being a non-indigenous person is you came here, you were given land, you were given money, you were given seeds to help cultivate um, this country. And indigenous people were thrown away to the worst pieces of land. We were thrown away into residential schools. And if we If we can understand that um, to live here, we were, uh, there was genocide, there was war. And and I want people to just understand that and be a little bit more sensitive to the fact that, of course, you'll have social issues after being traumatized as a whole people. Yeah. that's what I think reconciliation looks like. You can walk around without people judging you by the color of your skin. That black people can walk around without being thought of as a criminal. Black people have also um, suffered in Canada, in America. Um, they were used to colonize this country. North America, basically. And so if we can just understand there was really bad things that happened and that today we need to do everything we can to heal, including actually personally reaching out and maybe even giving up your land to the people that occupied it before, to actually give a hand and maybe be kind to those, uh, a lot of First Nations that are homeless. Mm-hmm. They're not just First Nations. They're also people who've been lost in the system, just like us, who grew up in a low-class family, and now this country suffers from um, the fact that uh, we have a growing lower-class um, people, working-class people, and they are starting to look at as indigenous people large who are largely also in that bracket, maybe even lower in their own um, low, like we're at the bottom of yeah. the food chain. And so indigenous people in this country are getting pennies from 
um, all the development we have in our own communities. We we don't get large payouts. They get lost um, between the private and the uh, sector and the government sector. So we're. Con- um, I believe to decolonize, to reconcile. Uh, ca- Canadians need to do their part, whether it's just giving out a hand every now and then, if it's letting go of some some thoughts that are around Indigenous people, to be to educate themselves, to actually get to know someone who's Indigenous. Mm-hmm. I I believe that um, even Indigenous people ourselves. We need to let go of some ideologies that are harmful to our communities. To we're moving from one ideology to another, and then going right back. So, um, I want Indigenous people to reconcile with themselves and to question their trauma and to question whether they're they're spreading it around or not. To question if they're healing themselves, if they're letting go of these ideologies that are abusive to their own culture. So I believe that is what reconciliation is. And we all have a, a part. We, For me, it's making these songs. Mm-hmm. I'm not going out and becoming a teacher. I know I don't really want to do that. I'm not going to college, I, but I love to sing. So I'll teach with what I know how to do. And if you know how to talk and you know how to teach, we can all heal and learn from um, the atrocities that's happened. Yeah, that's that's just my thought, um, how we can really heal as a people. So this last question I want to ask you is, for young people... Um, who maybe might come out to your shows or hear your music and get so inspired and they see what you do and they they decide that's what they also want to do. What advice would you give to young Indigenous youth who, who want to do what you do? Don't listen to anyone saying you're doing your art wrong. To young Indigenous artists that want to be musical performers. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to anyone that says you're not good enough. They are. There are going to be a lot of them, and they're going to be your own people, your own family, your own friends, and non-Indigenous people. So don't listen to them. Just keep working at it because art is subjective. Some people will like it, some people won't. And you just keep working at it, and it will look even more and more beautiful the more you practice it. So just keep practicing to feel better. We listen to music. To uh, celebrate life, we listen to music. Everywhere you go, there's music. So we need you. We need, we need all Indigenous people. We need, we need all of you. So work hard, ask for help, and ask for help from indigenous artists as well because for me i want to help i have advice oh kelly you have such beautiful and sound advice 
Um, and I just wanted to say on behalf of Mino Gandagan, the Good Voice Podcast, Miigwech, thank you so much for being on the show today. Nakomi, thank you for having me. I, uh, I love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that we're finding people who love to talk because that's really important on a podcast. Um, thank you so much. Yes. Have a wonderful day. You too. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Welcome back to Mino Gandeg and the Good Voice Podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with Kelly Fraser. Be sure to check out her music at kellyfrasermusic.com. Up next, meet our second guest, Sebastian Gaskin, a Cree and Anishinaabe musician and songwriter from Winnipeg, Manitoba, who creates lush soundscapes combined with heart-thumping bass, melancholic melodies, and a soulful voice. In January 2019, he will be releasing an EP and a new single, CBD, which ties in with the calming effect cannabis has. Buju Tansi, welcome to Minogandagan. I am Alyssa Blackwolf-Kixon, and I am sitting here with Sebastian Gaskin. How, how did you even uh, get into the music industry? Well, uh, I've been playing in cover bands for the past five five or six years, and uh, it was actually just last year that I began releasing my own original music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things have started to happen quite quickly within the past 24 months or so. And, um, yeah, I uh, actually went to... Um, I was selected to attend a residency at Falcon Lake, and it was uh, organized by uh, Manitoba Music, the group of Indigenous musicians. And, um, yeah, it was really cool. We got to meet these industry professionals, and we were there was 18 of us that were chosen out of 21,000 applicants. Wow. And, yeah, it was yeah, it was, a, it was a beautiful week. As a solo artist, you have been at this for about 24 months. Is that what you said? About there, yeah. So you're you're quite new to sort of like the whole yeah. that like being by yourself and writing original content. Both of my parents are musicians and my father was actually a touring musician back in the 80s and 90s and used to tour with Buffy St. Marie and all those, those big oh indigenous names. Oh my goodness. As, as a musician living in Winnipeg, is this your home base? Is this where you call home, where yep. you're from? Yep, for now, this is the home base. For yeah. now. For now. <laughs> Papa was a rolling stone. <laughs> Who would you say are your biggest influences in the, in the music industry? Leonard Sumner is a really huge influence wow, of mine. Yeah. How do you think your industry, so that being the music industry, has changed in terms of Indigenous representation? Well, actually, since I've uh, begun releasing music, I've seen um, a lot more representation of Indigenous artists within the mainstream, as opposed to, say, 10 years ago. You know, there's, you know, uh, Leonard Sumner, for example, um, there's Jade Turner, uh, Donna Mero, and they're all breaking into the mainstream, which is, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Where do you pull from for inspiration for your music? Well, a lot of it comes from past relationships mm-hmm. and just situations that I've gone through growing up within the city and from real life. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you find that your culture influences your music at all? Well, yeah, because um, within 
like powwow singing for example there's a lot of use of the like the pentatonic scale yeah. so i use a lot of that within my my melody writing yeah and it you can hear that it is a very powerful force within your music what does reconciliation mean to you i feel that the fact that i personally am able to to express myself freely and to to help other people heal them themselves i feel like do you think that reconciliation so and and i mean reconciliation can mean many different things to many different people um but in terms of you as an indigenous artist do you feel like um we are moving towards reconciliation well within the political climate that we're in right now like with the whole like the trump thing coming up i feel like we we've moved we've regressed within reconciliation because we're having all these like canada has been known to be one of these nice countries but Mm -hmm. ever since trump has become within power um I've noticed that there's a lot more racism bubbling up and people are being a lot more open about it. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you experience a lot of racism? Yeah, actually. Um, I just came from Saskatoon. Oh, heck. And <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I just got back from there, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's like a small town. Everyone's like just small-minded. I, yeah. While I was walking through a certain neighborhood, I, I noticed, I think it was at least four like elderly white women clutching their purses. <laughs> well, because well, you know I'm a I'm a pretty big guy and I look a little intimidating, but yeah, I, I like I hadn't experienced something like a, like that before, so that was kind of it was a shock to me, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I I come from from up north, northern Manitoba, so you know, like sure you have a little bit of racism, but it's like it's it's not so out in the open right as it was as i witnessed within saskatoon how do you think that uh racism can be dealt with sort of like in a positive way calling out racists and Mm -hmm. publicly shaming them you know yeah i feel like that's that's one way that i would personally deal with it Mm -hmm. or would like to deal with it what about within the music industry how do you think that um racism can be dealt with within the music industry we can deal with it by continuing to push our indigenous artists within into the mainstream and to try incorporate our culture as much as we can. So what would be your ideal outcome as a musician living in this, you know, very political, racially charged climate right now? What would you like as a musician who, you know, is newly into a solo career, um what is like what is your ideal outcome? Obviously, the end goal is to be able to freely tour the world and to to be able to bring my family out of the reservation. And what advice would you give to young people who are, you know, just starting out themselves in in the music industry? Don't be afraid to to be yourself, even if you think it's a little weird. There's always somebody out there that's going to love what you do, no matter how bad you think it might sound. Like I, I started off playing playing covers on YouTube. Where you're starting, mm-hmm. there's no telling where you can go. Respect your elders and just love each other, man. <laughs> <laughs> and miigwech, Sebastian. Like I said. Welcome back to Minukandegan, the Good Voice Podcast, the show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with musician Sebastian Gaskin. Be sure to check out his music online at sebastiangaskin.com. Finally, today we are joined by our third guest. 
Chris Harper. Chris Harper is a member of the band Nehawak and hails from Amiskwachi, also called Edmonton, located on Treaty 6 territory. The band Nehawak is made up of three Indigenous musicians, Harper, Matthew Cardinal, and Merrick Tyler, who together create sounds that coalesce at the intersection between traditional and contemporary music. The Cree word Nehawak means people of the plains, and its meaning weighs heavily on the band as they navigate the musical landscape, as well as their relationships with elders, youth, and the community at large. Bujiu Tanse, welcome to Mino Gandagan, the Good Voice Podcast. I am Alyssa Blackwolf Kixon, and I am here with Chris Harper. Yeah, so my name's Chris Harper. Um, I was born in Saskatoon. Uh, my mother's family is largely from Onion Lake and up near Koshin, uh, Saskatchewan. And, you know, brought up in a house that um, was certainly like kind of under, under a lot of impacts of uh, colonial history. So there was, not, um, there was not as much language spoken to the children and stuff when we were younger, as much as like we heard necessarily some of the older um, uh, generations speaking. But yeah, so I kind of was, uh, was raised in a house that was uh, Cree on my mother's side and, um, and kind of like Irish on my father's side. It, it was uh, an interesting pr- uh, perspective on the kind of Canadian uh, family in North America, what uh, the experience that I had and kind of, I guess, brought me to the place where I am today, trying to speak the language I am through music and art. It's very apparent just in, um, you know, the latest EP that you released and, um, you know, just within the name of your band. So ripe with language. I um, I don't speak Cree because I'm Anishinaabe and uh, just rediscovering my language. But I find that just even reading Cree words or, you know, listening to Cree music, I do find that it does like I'm starting to pick up on things, which sure. which is amazing because, you know, pre-contact, we we did speak each other's languages. It's how, you know, how we survived. We knew we were trilingual. Absolutely. Or, or yeah, or beyond, because there were so many different nations that that would have to interact with each other. Uh, you know, just for survival. And we really appreciated you guys letting us use uh, Synambulist on our last release of the episode. So this is exciting. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, we're, we're honored to, uh, to be able to share in this and be a part of, of this kind of work with you. For you as as a Cree musician who's like you, you guys have really just exploded on the music scene. Have you found that since the 94 Calls to Action have been released, have you found any change in terms of Indigenous representation in the music industry? Indigenous musicians and artists have been a very strong part of the language the entire time. Obviously, prior to contact, they, they made up the entirety of the language and the perspective that was being kind of built, if you will. Um, But I think post-colonial contact, I think to suggest, too, that it was ever um, it was ever going on without uh, the inclusion of that perspective. I think that that's that kind of speaks to where people were at 
with their maybe their own acceptance or their own ability to kind of uh, show their colors. Yeah. But I don't know that uh, I do believe that these these people, these artists and speakers and thinkers and writers and activists were were kind of there in the milieu of and the fabric of all of the kind of um, alternative perspective uh, consciousness that that has been going on the entire time, especially in music. I mean, I, I think that it's been a very strong part of of art being created in North America. Um, but we are getting to a point now where people aren't necessarily needing to only sing in English anymore, or they're not needing to uh, to try to maybe hide, or, or not hide, but just not necessarily uh, show off the fact mm-hmm. that they are Indigenous people. And I think now more than ever, like, it's artists and, and people, I think, are not even about ready it's about like it has to happen voices cannot be hushed and that was that was a large part of the idle no more movement which really spurred on what kind of started with the trc and 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 more of the writing of the of essentially what empathy looks like mm-hmm. um i don't think that it was um I, I don't think that there have been all these visible changes because of that work as much as there has been visible changes due to the grassroots work of Idle No More movement, as well as many bands in Canada doing um, doing essentially uh, activist kind of interventions on national scales that have a major impact on government and things that are being said. How would you define reconciliation? So we've talked about how the TRC may have shaped the the music industry, any sort of changes that are being made. But how would you define reconciliation? The idea of reconciliation cannot necessarily cannot necessarily even be envisioned without quite a substantial effort toward recognition. Again, we're speaking in English right now yeah and so we're, we're also like like from an embedded colonial narrative yes so uh, there's only there's really there is so much one can say in English about this but I do feel like in uh, this is this is the framework in which I'm able to uh, understand and kind of come at these avenues primarily dominantly much of the work that we we're doing in in the band Nehiwak uh, with myself and my cousin Merrick and and our friend Matthew Cardinal we're kind of trying to assert terms and assert different linguistic uh, realities, I guess, that exist in our language, in our environments, and in our worlds, but that are maybe not as common rhetoric or common um, words for for just anyone in Canada. But for an Indigenous person, the word starlight or starlight tour has a very strong meaning and and what it references, I mean, although for most of how people tend to recognize Starlight Tours is that they are something that happens predominantly to male mm-hmm. individuals. And I really think that, um, obviously, there is no such thing as gendering um, genocide. Yeah. If, if, the, if something is going on, this is a colloquial term 
Starlight Tour, but it really does speak to the larger um, the larger kind of idea of genocide, and then all the kind of smaller terms, and even the ones that can be passed along as almost jokingly. Yeah. Um, I that's something that I've been cognizant of and trying to uh, use in my art, but also in a way that is about recognition. Because again, for someone to not know what a starlight tour is, but then to be speaking of reconciliation feels really scary. And and so I think that again, within this concept of, of almost restorative justice or reparations, Yes. There's a lot of things that have to be taken into account before reconciliation could be truly envisioned. Everyone has has a different definition and a way of explaining reconciliation. And as Indigenous people, we've put down the groundwork, you know, not only in, you know, defining these terms and, you know, doing the work. I think you were spot on with your definition of of reconciliation. What you're asking to Indigenous people in, in the country of, of Canada, mm-hmm. um, and and that you're, you're suggesting that it, you're asking if reconcil- uh, sorry, reconciliation is happening, but then at the same time, we don't know. There's so many of our family and our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and cousins who don't know yeah. what happened. And, and there's something in this that's kind of like, um, I mean, there's been lots of terms to kind of explain yeah. uh, if these kinds of uh, concepts. I'm trying to think, there, there's one specific uh, term, it was a syndrome, I, I, I want to say. Uh, it, Stockholm it Syndrome? Me the word. Which one? Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah. So, so that, you know, we're talking about this this kind of abducted concept like we mm-hmm. you and I are both in in a large degree kind of uh, welling up at the idea of not being able to speak in our yeah. own mother tongue to each other right now and understand each other mm-hmm. but then on top of it we're trying to also uh, identify the examples of reclama- uh, reconciliation that have actually been that have actually kind of come to fruition in our world or in our uh, life Mm-hmm. And I feel like that there is a certain amount of um, uh, apprehension on my own part to really start getting into what those things might be, right. just knowing fully well that that I have family who who right today are maybe involved in in a lifestyle that wouldn't, for most people, wouldn't even be an option or a, or a thought, but are in that lifestyle or 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 cyclical kind of uh, situation where they are not trying to learn about these things. They're not trying to uh, find ways to, uh, you know, recognize reconciliation, but instead are just trying to survive Mm -hmm. with the tools that they have at this moment, which are largely very few in the sense that they're the home, the the family, the all these kind of things that help someone to feel strong aren't necessarily in place. This is obviously just my personal interpretation. Isn't that the life of an Indigenous person, having to try and answer for yourself? 
but then trying to answer for your your family, your loved ones, your community, but trying to answer for an entire nation's that's often the box that we get plopped into is, oh, hey, you're an indigenous person instead of, oh, hey, you know, you're you're Anishinaabe, you're Cree. You know, can you speak to this as someone from this Cree community? Instead, we get, you know, put into these indigenous boxes and then we're expected to speak on behalf of thousands of people. It It is... If not more, I mean, if, yeah, if not more. <laughs> and, and again, like, the, like how many, how many people, maybe even in your own family, uh, weren't able, like a hundred years ago, were not able to uh, withhold land on their reserve, and were, you know, essentially kicked off the quote-unquote <clears throat> reserve and without status, and who are obviously like indigenous people with the same amount, same lineage, mm-hmm. but cannot. Uh, do not have entitlement to land, get uh, put under the uh, concept of Métis. Yeah. I think even there was many instances, in, particularly in the South, in the States, um, again, a border which didn't exist, yeah. but, uh, but that were put into even plantations or, or situations around other people from other countries and said, you are now a slave. Yeah. And you are not, you know, so again, all... All familial connection, all roots, cut off, and this is this is a, a huge part of this story. Which really, I do think there's there's a large amount of our work too. As much as we do need to focus on these uh, personal perspectives and languages, there is something about connecting uh, people together um, and and perspectives that maybe uh, have been from a colonial perspective. Like, like the quote unquote person from Africa versus the quote unquote person from the Americas, um, the indigenous person, there might be a stronger relationship there. But because of colonial history, we've come to understand it as continents apart. And, um, and again, like all of these things, we're, we're kind of, um, we're, we're held, we're limited in a sense by just the sheer magnitude of, uh, colonial interpretation that's gone on and the ways in which people understand history. And, and again, that, that does really uh, propel or push or give, uh, give reason to many Indigenous people to learn their mother tongues and to uh, learn about their histories from, from the actual uh, elders and living libraries that are still there today. But, um, but then also to to keep working in that broader framework to, to really allow, like, I, I think there's been a lot of fragmentation that's gone on in even the jurisdiction of peoples and languages. I think that even that is fraught with much colonial interpretation. And there is something to, uh, I know that there's a lot of people fearful of the notion of pan-indigeneity, but I do think there's something to just the, the ways in which people are connected, uh, Wakotuin, and, and how all things are kind of connected in such a way that that gives strength that give um give purpose and uh and anyway and i think too just understanding you know taking that time in one's life to try to understand this stuff whether it's for artist purposes 
or, or purposes just to, to feel more comfortable living in mm-hmm. this environment. Um, I think is it, it really, for me, there's been a lot of um, meaning in this notion of trying to understand your family yes. as far back as you can to, to try to see where your ancestors came from and where they were going. And then maybe how that influences you in what you're doing in your life today and maybe what you're, how you're educating your children and all these kinds of things. I think that, uh, anyway, the, there's so much work to be done. We, we, have, uh, we have so much work ahead of us, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I think we all, we all can pitch into this and yeah. with more voices and more hands united, I think there's, um, there's some real some real kind of like global shifts that could uh, that could be attained. It, maybe not in our life, and maybe it's in our our uh, children's or grandchildren's lives. But I do think that that's that's a part of this understanding how you're connected to the map of history, and how how it is that you fit in exactly, as opposed to being told that you're from a people who don't have a history right. or. Or, you know, all these kind of terms that have been uh, given to us in lieu of reality. You know, it is, it is uh, daunting in, in a lot of ways, but not when you think of just how many people out there um, there are that yes. would be wanting and willing to, and not even willing, it's just like excited yeah. to do this work. But maybe just don't know. You know, maybe you're just mm-hmm. still somewhat sheltered. But um, that is our interview for today. Thank you, Miigwech, so much for all your wise words. And it was such a pleasure talking with you, Chris. I just, yeah. Absolutely. I'm I'm so, uh, again, this is something we're we're all honored to do. And uh, and in some ways feels like, like it is work of our ancestors. Yes. You know, we're able to, to be a real part of how the the kind of goals and the things that our ancestors were trying to do and maybe weren't able to to fully uh, realize that we have this same opportunity today and and it's just, it's an honor to to be able to speak to you and to also be able to just like share, share and to hear what you have to share and to hear what our our communities have to share. It's so big, so huge. Thank you. Thank you. Great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Mino Gandagan, the Good Voice Podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with Chris Harper, Cree musician. Be sure to check out his music at nehewak.com. Miigwech to all our guests on this episode, the 10th in our series. Thank you for sharing your stories and your thoughts on a subject that should be on every Canadian voice, reconciliation. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversations today and will tune into future episodes as we engage in more thought-provoking conversations about reconciliation. We'll close off our episode with a track from CJ the Grey. This is I'm Just Saying. Check out more of his music at facebook.com slash Grey. Joy, thankful to be in a happy place as I look up to 
got tears in my eyes thinking about my anti fate. She's a superhero in my books. Many, many people call her great. Above the clouds, I know she's looking down with the biggest smile on her face. Paying bills with every dollar made. If life's a sport, she's in the Hall of Fame. You left us all amazed. I recall the day my fans started drinking alcohol and pain. You taught the ways of the seven teachers. Brought out the best in everyone. When I questioned who I was, you taught me lessons. Wonder who I would have been if you left me none already out before the sun. Abusers, dealers, you supported none. Look what the Lord has done. Can't deny the truth. Times with you was way more than fun. Judge me all the light, that's just life. I'm just saying. Don't think too much wrong or right, seen darker nights. I'm just saying. Who's to judge me all the light, that's just life. I'm just saying. Don't think too much wrong or right, seen darker nights. A leader with goals, a teacher to those. Wanted some help when they needed the most. Awakening myself the deeper I go. Free from these demons, they dreaming of hope. Freezing the coast, I'm got no food. Crazy what the homeless go through. Pretty positive, we both knew. This is something that I'm not unknown to. No one's there for me. Oh, nah. Suicidal thoughts, I thought. No one cared for me at all. Soon I start to see. It's my fault. Times is hard to leave. What's wrong? Family hardly see. My mom used to spark the weed. I'm God, but that part of me is gone. Keep it moving, though. There's always room for growth. Truth be told, I used to smoke and do drugs. No longer doing, though. This world is super cold. I'm only human, so yeah, we all make mistakes, but ain't no losing hope. Oh, come in and get ya. Stack up the letters and double up figures. Holding it down for my brothers and sisters. So we gonna see each other. I miss it. Who's to judge me? All the light, that's just life. I'm just saying. Don't think too much wrong or right. Seen darker nights. I'm just saying. Who's to judge me? All the light, that's just life. I'm just saying. Don't think too much wrong or right. Seen darker nights. Minabandagan was produced on Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabek, Nahewak, Ojikri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Our executive producer is Alyssa Blackwolf-Kixon, our associate producer is Sasha Mark, and I'm your host, Tim Fontaine. Our theme music comes to us courtesy of Boogie the Beat. Check out more of his brilliant work at soundcloud.com slash boogie the beat. The interstitial music is courtesy of Bloom. You can hear more of their songs at bloom14.bandcamp.com. We would like to thank the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the University of Manitoba's Office of Indigenous Achievement, the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation, the University of Manitoba Students' Union, and UMFM 101.5 for their support in the production of this series.